Hey everybody, I'm back. Took a uh, several week hiatus there. Things picking up at the agency, so I've had a little less time to work on the podcast, but I am committing to trying to attempting to do a podcast every other week. Hopefully you guys stick with me. Uh, let me know what you think. Is that uh, I think that's a pretty good cadence every other week to put something out. But I'm back with a really great episode with Executive Creative Director Aaron Miller. Now, this guy has worked for a bunch of the big players in experiential, including George B. Johnson and Freeman XP, just to name a few. He got a, a his Bachelor of Fine Arts in Interior Design, and he spent you know, the last several decades really working on what that means in terms of the human experience, right? He's worked on a bunch of big conferences, a bunch of big brand experiences, and he's brought a very cerebral, thoughtful approach to the way that he looks at those types of things. So much so that he is a teacher uh, at Cal State Long Beach. He's a guest lecturer there where he's taught some design students. And actually, they've taught him a, a couple of things as well. He talks about it a little bit in the uh, episode. Anybody know what XR is? What MR, multi-reality is? Uh, he's learning about it and he's teaching about it uh, to some of the students there at Cal State Long Beach. He also has an affinity for Lycra. But you know what? I'll let him tell us all about it. So let's get into it with Executive Creative Director Aaron Miller. Hey, Aaron. Good to see you, buddy. How are you? Hi, May. Good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a long time. I almost, I almost forgot the uh, the contours of your beautiful face. There, it's been, it's been <laughs> too long. I think we met for for lunch in Long Beach. Like, I don't know, three, four years ago. And it's, it, I think we've maybe spoken on the phone a few times, but I haven't seen you in a long time, man. Looking good, looking good. I like, the, I like the beard. Likewise, man. I like the, uh, I like the hair. We're all getting a bit older, but looking, good, looking better, right? We're seasoned pros. You know, I've, I've kind of run the gamut on the show of, of creative directors, you know, from different sort of stages in, in their career. We're the, I think we're the, uh, we're the veterans, probably not the super veterans, but we're the, uh, we're the salt and pepper in the room, which, which I think is very valuable uh, and important in the creative that's, process. That's right. That's right. Dare we say uh, elder statesman? I don't think so. Yeah, that sounds good. What? <laughs> so as you know, this show involves drinking. And I always like to start off the show by discovering what your, uh, what your poison is. So uh, what are you drinking over there? Well, today, and you know, it is three o'clock PM, so we're a bit early on this. But this is uh, this is a special blend. This is uh, Bullet Bourbon, yeah, the Frontier Whiskey variety, and uh, something called Blenheim Hot Ginger Ale. Wow! And it is uh, it's like drinking a campfire, essentially. <laughs> so, is it a? Oh, that looks good. So it's it's a uh, what I would call a Kentucky mule, right? Because it's it's bourbon or it's bourbon, not Kentucky. I, I forget. It, it, yes, bourbon. Uh, yes, it's a, it's like a Kentucky mule, but uh, the Blenheim comes from South Carolina. So it is. I don't know. It's a Kentucky, South Carolina, close enough. Is the spiciness from that ginger ale just the ginger, or did they add something else in it? Oh, I think they added something else. It it literally will uh it burns your lips uh everything else it's fantastic it's okay fantastic. cool i'll have to i'll have to keep an eye out for that i'm i'm drinking in honor of 16 de septiembre and also hispanic heritage month i am drinking a michelada so i usually use a nice uh, tecate beer and uh, yeah i put a little uh a little actually i actually had to use a little bloody mary mix today because i was in a pinch but i dressed it up with a uh, a little bit of tahine and put a little uh, lime juice in there. So I'm ready to go. Salud. Cheers. Salud. Cheers. Cheers to you. Thanks for taking the time. I mean, just reviewing and prepping for the show and just refreshing my memory on uh, all the cool stuff that you've done and all the brands that, that you work for. Uh, you know, it's like a who's who list of clients, right? We've got the the heavy hitters in automotive. We've got Honda. We've got Tesla. I'd love to talk a little Tesla with you. We've got Toyota, Chevy, um, all those guys, but that's just to name a few, right? You got Virgin, you got 
all kinds of stuff. You've worked, you know, at at some of the top shops, in, including George P. Johnson, and you spent uh, the last several years at MC two, and and you've been around. And do I need to call you professor, by the way? Because I also know that you're uh, you're doing some some lecturing at uh, Cal State Long Beach. So I do, do I need to call you professor, Aaron? I like or? it. I like it. <laughs> <clears throat> do you have the uh, Do you have the jacket with the uh, with the patches on the elbows and all that? I've been looking for one. Yes. Yeah. It's. Uh, I think that's my uh, get up for uh, for the uh, winter semester. Will be my uh, next engagement there. So it's a great program. And uh, as a matter of fact, we'll talk a bit more about that uh, in a while. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I'd love to talk to you, to you a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to do that, actually. I, I would love to come in and, and talk to some students and pretend like I know anything. But so I usually like to start with just understanding how you see the role of a creative director. I think we all approach it a little bit differently. And I would love to know your take. What is it that we really do? What is it that we don't do? It's the, yeah. the better question, right? That's something that uh, I've been asked uh a lot over the years. And, uh, it's, you know, I equate it to a bit of a conductor, a bit of a therapist, a bit of a peacemaker. Um, (laughs) but at the end of the day, you know, it's a, it's a role that encompasses just about every capacity. I, I think when you're doing it at the level that we're working at, you, you do have to kind of engage all of your capacities. It's not just a creative job. It's not yeah. just, you know, art uh, or yeah. design. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, but in fact, uh, a bit more business strategy, um, yep. understanding human behavior, what motivates people to action and being able to employ all of those principles effectively and holistically, right? And you know, what's funny is that when you when you say all those things, there's two, there's two sides, right? It's, it's obviously three sides, even when you think about it, the client, and then obviously the end consumer that's, that's consuming your, your work, but then also your internal team, right? So getting, motivating them to action and keeping the peace among them and all that kind of stuff. So it really is pretty fascinating and and, um, interesting that we're dealing with several different uh, audiences, which, which is the hardest in your opinion? I think that could go two ways, that question. Um, You know, internally, I think some of the internal struggles on the agency side tend to be um, sometimes tougher than getting a client to um, move forward with a really brave idea. I think um, there's a balance there, right? And you kind of have to, uh, you're almost like a senator. (laughs) You have to play both sides and be able to move both groups to a uh, agreeable conclusion, one that kind of memorable on the outside to the consumer and achieves all those goals that are uh, outlined up front. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. What, what's your, uh, what's your, your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think I just read something recently that I really liked, you know, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about sort of incorporating that into my spiel and it's really that the creative director is there to kind of create the, the conditions for, creativity and to and and the conditions to come up with insights and and ideas right and that sort of gives you a little bit of flexibility because it can mean a whole host of things right it can be literally you know creating an environment it could be being the kind of person that people feel comfortable with or safe sharing ideas with um it could be literally providing the right type of tools or access to the right types of things so i, I like that I like that phraseology. But when you said earlier that you likened it to a conductor. Or so a farmer, for, now that you put all those uh, things out there, right? Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll switch, I'll switch uh, metaphors here. So as a farmer, tell me two or three of your favorite crops. In other words, tell me a couple of your favorite projects and um, who they were for. I may be throwing you a curveball as I think about it now because I don't know if I prepped you for that but can, if you can share a couple that 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 you really like or that you're really proud of well you know as a creative director i guess we have to we have to back up and kind of think about uh where we've been working just primarily in the i guess brand experience uh space you know that involves 
many channels of uh, communication. Um, and um, seeing all of that come together at uh, something like a conference or, you know, uh, at least in my past at an auto show where we've got all channels firing digital, social, mobile, big, large scale content, hands on engagements. I mean, all of those types of uh, events, those are the ones that make you as a, as a director or as a leader or a contributor you just got to remember the creative director. Um, we're, we're not actually the ones usually pushing the buttons. We've got a whole team behind us um, that uh, is essentially uh, doing the lifting. The culmination of all of that work, the sometimes blood, sweat, and tears of the of the creative process, seeing that come to fruition as something as large scale as a you know five thousand person conference, ten thousand person conference or uh, a major motor show is the thing that keeps you coming back. Uh, it's a lot of punishment. It's uh, I, I think a lot of people think that the lifestyle is uh, quite glamorous at times with the travel and the expense accounts and the dinners. Uh, I guess all of that makes up for the fact that you literally might be watching the sun go down at your uh, studio and then watching it come up all too quickly right going oh man we gotta we gotta package this up we gotta get this into the hopper yeah or or be staying up all night to get you know somebody to come and redo something completely you know in terms of if you're doing something experiential you know there was a few years ago where we had to completely redo something for at we were at super bowl and it was you know it's one of those things where it's an all all nighter and there's a certain element of fun to that obviously you're with your colleagues and all that but mm-hmm. It can, you know, it, it's not, it's not easy and it, it, it can get, uh, it can get a little hard. So you like sort of the, that show aspect, getting everything together. And that's, what's cool about experiential specifically, I think, is that all those things come together, right? Even though we may not be doing commercials, oftentimes we're right. creating video content, then we're creating a, you know, an actual structure or, or, or an experience. And then within that experience, there's some kind of digital activation um are are any of those you know even more interesting to you or for you could only focus on one of those areas it's hard to focus on one i think it's hard to uh you know if i were a a traditional uh you know working in traditional um advertising knowing that experiential was out there it would be hard for me to stay in the swim lane i think i think a successful creative director always has that innate curiosity to kind of see what else is out there. It's a little bit of, I guess, my uh, personal wandering spirit, if you will, what I do in my personal time, hiking and backpacking and things like that. You're always kind of wondering what's around the next curve or over the next hill. And uh, I feel like a lot of that is uh, very similar in my, you know, day-to-day work world you know, wondering how we can better connect with an audience. What other uh, tools uh, do we have at our disposal that we can employ uh, to uh, activate and excite and motivate, right? Uh, So all of those things coming together at a large event, uh, it is show business. I get that. But there's a lot of excitement. The moment you see those uh, cases rolling into the hall, uh, the truss laying on the ground, it's like, all right, we're about to do something here and it's going to yeah, be big. That is fun. And and I, and you know, I haven't done that many shows uh, lately. We, we were doing this one show every year and, it, and you're right. When you see those, the cases rolling in and you see that trust going up as my uh, friend uh, and former boss, Julian Labat used to say, you know, black, black trust is cool. Silver trust is not cool. You know Julian. You, you know Julian as well, right? <laughs> I do. I I worked with uh, Julian uh, when I first started at uh, yeah, George B. That's Johnson. Right. That's right. Yeah, he was uh, he was on a different account, so we kept those kind of separate. But I would see him, and uh, we would hang out occasionally. Yeah, good guy. Yeah, good yeah, guy. But yeah, guy. but yeah, guy. he always he has he has very strong feelings about trust. But yeah, it's it's kind of a rock and roll <laughs> feeling, and that you know, sort of my background is that I you know I grew up playing. 
in rock bands. So I love it for just that. You know, I just love the, the gear and all that stuff setting up. But I also love, you know, the content side of it as well. So when you're dreaming up all this stuff, right, it has to start somewhere, start, has to start in, in your head and, and in your team's head. What's your what's the creative process like since since we've been focused on this type of experience? What's the creative process like maybe specifically for that? Is there a certain, you know, and I know that it's always sometimes a little different probably, but are there some key sort of milestones or some key sort of things that you do every time? You know, for me, uh, my process, uh, you know, it's probably like a lot of others, but, you know, I absolutely 110% will start with a, with a strategy. You know, we, uh, at least my teams that I work with, it's very, it's not very often that we, you know, start with pen to paper and start sketching and drawing. Um, there is something about that that helps to advance ideas, you know, certainly before you start plugging things into a computer. But I think for me, it's really about the narrative, about the story, and and ultimately what we're trying to get people to do. What type of behavior are we trying to influence? That sounds really dirty when I say it, but uh, the, the reality is starting with the written and uh, and then moving into more of the, of the visuals and the communication design and, uh, you know, some of the other aspects that would come with a large experiential programming. I think a lot of kids that are in school right now, um, I mean, highly talented, obviously, but, uh, they sometimes will come to the table, especially your interns and, uh, some of those, uh, first hires, you know, first jobs, uh, and they're ready to start drawing. But the reality is you want them to to expand on what the ask is. It's the, uh, the why before the how, if you think about it in that really simplistic sense. Right. Yeah. Somebody said, I think somebody on the show said, you know, if you can explain it to me in a few sentences, then you've got a concept. If <laughs> you have to show me, then it's a tactic. Right. Yeah. It's like you yeah. have to. So, yeah, I like that. You have to start with with the idea and the narrative of what this is, because then it does eventually inform how the whole thing comes together. Right. So mm -hmm. if you don't have that part right, then you don't the rest of it won't come together properly. So you talked about some some kids coming in, some entry level folks, as we talked about earlier at the top of the show, you are teaching at uh, Cal State Long Beach. Tell us a little bit about what that's all about and what it entails and, and um, you know, w what you like about it, uh, what's interesting to you. Are, I, I assume you're getting something out of it, but just tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, get a, um, I don't want to say it's a full, it's a part-time role. So it's, uh, it's literally uh, one semester a year at this point. Uh, in the Department of Design, and it just so happened that I met the uh, head of this program, who uh, used to be a neighbor of mine, um, just met her uh, on the Halloween circuit with our kids and got to talking and uh, started attending panels, panel discussions, uh, things like that. Uh, I've been um, working with her group now for something like, I want to say it's six, seven years. So it's been a long time of uh contributing there and she actually started a uh, program uh that's centered around uh human experience as it relates to user experience design and that can again fold under many different categories whether it's digital physical um or or some combination of the two so um, that program is off, uh, to a, uh, just a, a quick start. Um, it is a brand new program. Uh, it's a graduate level program. Um, and I think the first, uh, five or six, five or 10 students will be graduating, uh, sometime the following year. So the first five we had through, uh, earlier this year, one of the things that we do talk about is the, the confluence of capability. So, and I think as a creative person, uh, at least my mood boards on Pinterest for years have had things uh, up there that uh, simply didn't exist. 
Or if they did, it would be so darn expensive that our clients would never go for it. But it looked great on the on the mood board for the project, right? We are almost to that point, or in some cases exceeding that in terms of what technology can do in terms of user experience. And when you plug in, you know, some of those platforms and capabilities into, say, a brand, a physical brand experience, uh, we end up with a really interesting moment where this uh, capability uh, is is now uh, realized. Things like gesture-based interactives or tracking uh, uh, data that we can pick up and uh, and essentially heat map spaces and and get data from the interaction and improve upon the experience. Having long tail experiences where you're uh, able to extend from the core experience out uh, in terms of that kind of post-event activation. I mean, all of these things are now achievable. Whereas back in, say, the early 2000s, when we were dreaming about this stuff, we all saw Minority Report, right? And yep. said, holy cow. And that's uh, that's reality. Yeah, absolutely. So when you think back to that time, when you said you had this Pinterest board, which by the way, I'm like, me, I don't have a Pinterest. Do I need to, do I need to get my Pinterest game uh, going? You should follow me on Pinterest. What's the, uh, <laughs> what's the handle? I will need to look that up. My <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Um, but so what I'm hearing you say is that those were only dreams, you know, a matter of years ago and now, you know, they're reality and you're, and you're using it, you know, what's next or what are you hearing from these students are they generating some ideas that you're just like whoa where's that where's where's that coming from yeah absolutely i mean they're you know look they are uh innately curious about everything um some of my students um that i am uh still connected with as an advisor on their thesis project they are curious about how everything works. They want to literally take it apart, figure out how it ticks and then put it back together. And uh, I think I think that type of enthusiasm for problem solving or just understanding how systems work and how they can be plugged in uh, to an experience is uh, unique for dreaming up what's next. And as a matter of fact, we did a um, the project that we worked on uh, last the last semester that I taught uh, was centered around the LA 28 games and how different audiences, different personas, different uh, types of visitors, whether they're here in LA or outside of you know the local space, how they're going to interact and engage with the games on all different levels. And that uncovered a lot of unique thinking. None of it bound by budgets, of course. But and, and so you know what's really interesting as you're saying that is now uh, when you when you go back when you go back, right? If you're doing that same exercise, how much different is it now because of COVID, right? And so now you got to re completely rethink it again because now the in 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 person experience is going to be different or maybe even reduced. I don't know. I guess by then maybe we'll be okay, but it's just interesting to think, you know, has that, has that changed, you know, and even for the, I imagine that the, the people watching from some some other location, that experience is going to have to be much more robust because maybe people will have gotten used to not going to the actual event, you know? So. Right. We're all sitting here in our houses going, well, do we really need to go to the theater again? But now I, you know, that COVID uh, happened while we were in the middle of our semester. I think we had two or three, maybe four uh, studio sessions. Uh, and these are five hour long studios, mind you. So it's, uh, it's a lot to take a five hour in-person studio and then somehow capture that same experience over a screen. Um, I think the first few, I probably did uh, about four hours of talking and, uh, and then, you know, after that we said, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure out a better way. So we were, uh, what's the analogy building, building the boat as we're sailing or building the airplane as we're flying and we figured it out. But, uh, I think, you know, a lot of the output 
did uh, because of what was going on in the world uh, at the time. And it was just changing daily as we all experienced. Um, a lot of that thinking did go into their, their projects. I think there was more of an emphasis on the remote experience and how technology will help enable technology through means like XR or, uh, you know, MR, uh, you know, multi-reality uh, can help amplify and uh, create an experience for people, whether they're here in LA uh, or, or beyond. So it was a great project and uh, yeah, I, you know, can't wait to do that again. That was, uh, was a bit more sprawling than, you know, when you say reinvent the uh, experience for the Olympic games, uh, that's, that's a pretty big ask. <laughs> even in 10, Well, hold on a bit. You just said something, you know, because typically I'm talking to my guests about AR and VR. Now you're throwing out XR and what was the other one? Oh, M- MR. I, I don't, I wish I, I feel MR. sort of foolish yeah. asking, but can you tell us a little bit about those two? Well, MR is, uh, is more of the, um, you know, it's multi-reality. So it's a bit uh, like AR, maybe a grown-up version of AR. Yeah. I am not the expert on this, but the kids know this stuff. And it is, it is kind of a, a combination oh, of VR okay. and AR. Okay. So, yeah. I can wrap my uh, head around that. Pretty, so it would be equivalent to, um, it's a little bit like a grown-up version of mm-hmm. HoloLens, if you've ever been able to kind of play around with one of those, which I think in a grand sense, that's probably the device or the platform that is most useful. If you can get past the goofy look, Um, I think all of that is going to eventually uh, get smaller. Maybe it gets built into, uh, you know, our glasses like we have now. And um, it just unlocks, there's an unlimited potential in how data, how layers of data will unlock an experience yeah, uh, for for the user. So when we're talking about these students, right, and just just education in general, or just even the creative mind in general, right? I've been thinking about this idea for a while. Do you see kids who are very skilled, but maybe not as talented? And in your mind, what's you know what's the difference? Because I feel like. You know, I often think like, okay, focus on building your talent because that's where, you, you know, that's where it's, you're really going to sort of expand. You think that that's possible? Can you build? Obviously, people can learn skills, but do you think that you can build talent that you can expand on somebody's talent? And do you think there's a difference between those two things? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's possible, right? I mean, I, I think we see it, you know, certainly at, on the um, academic level uh, as well as um, in our studios. The people that we, as design leaders or creative leaders, mentor, and you know, I, it, it takes an army, it takes a village, right? Everyone has strengths, and I think being able to identify what those are, being able to read people, and then be able to uh, nurture those strengths. Uh, yeah, I think, I think those things can be developed for sure. However, there is something to be said for natural ability. And there are people that, you know, one of the things, uh, about being a good creative director, I think is being able to identify those individuals early and upfront and be able to surround yourself with people who are, who are better than you. I mean, quite frankly, right. So you're a bit of a conductor in that sense bringing all of these different discipline, uh, you know, uh, capacities together in order to make everything work and sing. And there have been cases where, you know, people that I identified and hired, right. Uh, some people that, you know, I think Absolutely. Jennifer Kasich uh, yep. used to work for you. She was an intern of mine back when I had yep. my first company, uh, back in right. the early, early days. So I saw that work and said, all right, she's, oh, she's going she's somewhere. One of the most talented yeah. um, people and designers. Yeah. That I know for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, some of those folks though, still together, you put the band together and to see them kind of almost, you know, when they leave you at some point, right. They move on. It's almost like you're a parent seeing your kids go off yep. to, uh, to college, yep. a little heartbreaking, but you're, you're also happy for them because they are, developing as individuals, you know, they've developed those strengths and someone else has seen value in that. And 
is willing to uh, to take them on as as they develop and grow. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So you touched on this a little bit earlier, and I'm curious just to know where you draw inspiration from. You mentioned hiking and backpacking and getting, sounds like getting out into the, the great outdoors. Is that where you find most of your inspiration? Um, where else do you find inspiration? Are you a big reader or you, you like to listen to podcasts or where are you finding creative inspiration? Yeah, everywhere, man. Music, film, architecture, design. I go to a lot of, uh, well, pre-COVID, I went to a lot of lectures. UCLA has a great program through their architecture and urban design uh, school. And there were, uh, you know, summer sessions that you could go to. And that was great because it was a collection of various mindsets from around LA, from around the region who would all come together. And uh, it was kind of like a, a, a very small mini TED it would happen once or twice a month. And so so those types of things are very interesting and they'll tend to spur further thought or, you know, inspire a, a different path depending on what it was. Uh, back when uh, I uh, sat in on a lecture by the uh, founders of Bot and Dolly. After that, I think all of our work in the studio at George P. Johnson had uh, robots in it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Automotive robots. But, uh, you know, I would drag a lot of my uh, ports along with me, you know, some of the talent in the studio. And, uh, you know, I think getting them inspired and thinking a bit differently, yeah. getting out of the office, man, that's, that's yeah. critical. You know, magic usually doesn't happen just in the computer, you know, looking at the internet. I think you have to go out and experience it, especially if that's what you're designing. You have to see how people engage and react Retail is really interesting to me. You know, um, again, we're we're talking pre-COVID because we're we're kind of in this situation where maybe that's the last place you know that's uh, uh, people want to be. But um, you know, observing and seeing how brands are innovating in a in a retail space has there's a lot of magic there. Yeah, and then nature, man, getting out you know, getting into, uh, you know, we do a lot of backpacking and hiking and camping and just getting out into nature and, and somewhat disconnecting from the daily grind. It's even better if your phone right. doesn't work wherever you're going, because then there's really no distraction. You know, that is some of the best inspiration. Have you ever done anything as purposeful as like doing, uh, doing a trip like that? And working at the same time and, and sort of designing while you're out in the middle of nowhere? You have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I have. I won't say it was purposeful. It was, um, I was working for uh, Freeman XP at the time and we had a very critical deadline and I had a trip that had been planned for a year. So it wasn't like I could move it. So I said, you know what, we're going to take the computer and we're just going to do this thing. And so literally uh, in the middle of Yellowstone National Park, there I was with alongside a uh, fumeral. It was definitely uh, a different space to, to write. It was a lot of copywriting. Was the final product uh, pretty good? Like, did you feel like, hey, that, that kind of, uh, that worked out? Yeah, yeah. Client was happy. So you can't argue with that, right? Yeah, yeah, you can't. You definitely cannot argue with that. Um, so if you weren't doing this, if you weren't a creative director, and I also want to touch a little bit about what your future plans are, because I know you've you've got some some plans. But if you weren't doing this type of work, what do you think you would be doing? Yeah, that is that is a really good question. I'd be a retired pro cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's retired. It's not yeah, you're no yeah. you're no, you're not a pro cyclist. I'm retired. I already did it. Uh, what, what's that all about? You're an avid cyclist. You know, I used to be. Um, I uh, uh, unfortunately had a few friends that um, that uh, had gotten um, hit and killed, unfortunately, oh over the years. So it uh, yeah, it slowed me down a bit. Um, I still think about those guys every day. I do ride on occasion. Uh, but not as much. I mean, uh, back in my uh, pre-college, college days, uh, I raced, rode four or 500 miles a week on the road. I probably looked very different than I do now, <laughs> I may. <laughs> but, you know, there was a passion there. And part of it is is the dedication that it takes to ride at a, at a, a more elite level. Um, you do have to watch what you eat. You have to be out on the bike. Uh, putting the miles in. Um, it's a it's a subculture. 
you know, it's its own thing. Everyone, you know, if you've not done it, uh, you, you wouldn't know, but, uh, for those that do know, or anyone listening, uh, that, that rides, they know what I'm talking about. So, uh, that group, it's interestingly enough, you know, the, the folks that I used to, uh, race uh, with travel with, um, many of them have stayed in the business. They all work at some of the big brands is, uh, designers or marketing executives. And, uh, you know, we still stay in touch. It's, uh, there's something about designers and creatives and bikes. I don't know what it is. I think it's the tinkering, maybe the, the gear, the hardware, uh, maybe it's the Lycra. I, I don't know. Yeah, the Lycra. I imagine that you probably had some pretty good creative thoughts while your while your mind is free that that way. Uh, maybe you had a little notebook tucked in the Lycra there or something. Is that was that the case? Did you did you often have yeah. good ideas while you're writing? Uh, yeah, you know. Um, again, it kind of goes back to that idea of being out and unencumbered. Uh, and this is, of course, I'm going to date myself here a bit, but it was the days before cell phones. You know, so you literally. We're out there. Uh, some of these rides, uh, they're, uh, you know, they're uh, 60, you know, there was a ride every week, every weeknight after, after work, there would be 30, 40, 50 guys that would get together, guys and girls and head out. And this is in the uh, kind of North Georgia area where I grew up, Athens, Georgia. Yeah. You do a lot of good thinking, especially if you're off the back and just suffering. Just call it suffering like a pit. If you could suffer well, uh, then you, uh, you would, you would do well in cycling. And I kind of, you know what, maybe that's the connection to creative. It's specifically called suffering when you're towards the, the, the back end. Oh, if you're off the back and you're just, you're trying to bridge back up to your, to the group. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, it's, it's painful uh, exist. It's a painful place to be. Let's just put it that way. So it's all about pain management, pain management, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> pain management in, in creative direction. That's a, that's a topic for, uh, for another day. What's the, what's the greatest, uh, what's the greatest, that sounds like a pretty good lesson actually, but what's the greatest lesson that you've learned from a, from a mentor, from a creative mentor or any mentor, frankly, for uh, that matter? You know, I think it's, oh man, where to start, right? Um, uh, you know, the, the, the number one thing that I can think of off the top of my head is, is persistence you know, never, never stopping, always, uh, look for ways to rethink a challenge. And I think we're in that right now with the COVID slowdown with everybody in marketing or live marketing for that matter, kind of, we're all in the same boat. So we're all trying to reinvent ourselves and, and kind of take a look at the problem from a different angle. You're seeing a lot of that obviously in the virtual uh, work that's, uh, that a lot of agencies are, are pumping out, but yeah, I think persistence and I have, uh, I have a couple people that I actually refer to as a mentor. Uh, I talked to one today and interestingly enough, he is, he sits more on the kind of executive account side, which, you know, there's always that, that tension, right. Between creative and, and account it's healthy, you know, it's, uh, it's like the, the, yep. the, the balance of, uh, uh, of our government, right? It checks and balances. So yeah, right. uh, he actually called me out of the blue today. And, um, you know, I think the conversation for, uh, you know, around a, uh, I guess, a, a good mentor who kind of just understands that, you know, what he needs to deliver or what they need to deliver, uh, in order to kind of help elevate you. It wasn't a, it was nothing that I asked for. I think he just could kind of glean it in the course of the conversation. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's always inspiring. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm so thankful that there are people like that out there in the world who give so freely without being asked without expecting anything in return. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think there's something that, uh, you know, for the, for the people that I hope I am a mentor to, I, I hope they feel that same way because it's nothing better than helping to lift someone up or give them a, a, a different yeah. idea or approach to, uh, to, a, to a problem that they haven't thought about. In that segment there, you mentioned the word reinvention and about reinventing yourself. How are you reinventing yourself for the future? What, is, what are your plans? What are you, are you, are you thinking differently? Are you thinking, Hey, I want to, 
want to start to pursue certain areas of my creativity or are there any uh, plans there for, for a big reinvention? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I think, I think we all have to think that way at all times, right? I mean, uh, change is, is the only constant and we can't be, I think this, this, uh, this COVID uh, situation has caused all of us to kind of sit back and go, Oh man, this is, this is disrupting our entire career track. I mean, for a lot of people and, you know, I think disruption can be good. Maybe it doesn't last as long as this is lasting, but disruption is good. It's going to spur right. people to kind of uh, approach, um, you know, if we're talking about a marketing challenge or, you know, some sort of, you know, product challenge uh, a bit differently, how do we, how do we still communicate and uh, connect with those audiences? Um, so, you know, for me, I'm looking at I'm looking at these problems uh, in terms of you know human centered design. I think you know the teaching has has definitely spurred some uh, different ways of of connecting to audiences. And I think while it's uh, you know it's 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 complex at times uh, dealing with different personas and and different types of human behavior. Ultimately, it's going to drive innovation in, um, you know, technology and um, all of these other channels that we use and leverage as part of our as part of our uh, tool set. Um, so, really trying to explore that a bit more. I think, you know, digital is definitely here to stay. I think, um, you know, focusing more on how to create. Uh, experiences, whether it's, uh, you know, on a Zoom platform or some other where uh, people feel like they're getting something in return. They're not just watching, that there is a bi-directional right. flow of interaction and communication. I think that's the holy grail, you know, for all these yeah. conferences that are now virtual. And uh, how do we do that? Yeah. So solving for that. Yeah. You know what's funny, and that you mentioned that because today I was on a Teams call. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you use Teams at all, Microsoft Teams, but they just launched this feature, at least that that we're aware of. That's called Gallery View. So instead of having everybody in the little boxes, it places everybody in this fake uh, like uh, auditorium, and it looks kind of funny. It looks it looks totally fun. Uh, my dog's there, but it definitely changed the experience in a good way. Like I definitely felt more connected to the people on the call, right? They weren't in these little boxes. We were mm -hmm. all kind of in the same room. Um, so I agree that that's, you know, that's definitely something that um, I guess a good thing that's coming out of all of this is that those type of experiences are getting better and they have to be because, you know, they're, they're probably becoming a, a bigger part of uh of our lives yeah, going it's forward. A, it's the simulation, right? That makes, uh, tricks your brain into believing that you're talking to a live audience. We're all going to be in the matrix. Today, yeah. Right? Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> I, I guess so. I guess so. You, are there any plans that you want to tell us about any secret, uh, weapons that you're developing, well, uh, in your, uh, in your, your workshop there? Well, Jaime, they're, they're a secret. So you have to have uh, okay. top top right. secret uh, clearance. Uh, but uh, all right, I, I, I was am... trying to trick. I was trying to trick you there. I was trying to trick you into giving me some uh, some secrets. I think uh, during this uh, you know slowdown, I've been working on some side projects. I think you know um, I, I know one of your questions uh, early on was uh, what what do you do outside of you know your your day job? And um, I think you know for me. Although it sounds like work, I've got literally uh, two or three business ideas that I, can, I nurture. And some of those are, uh, hopefully I can uh, launch them at some point and, uh, and see if they can be monetized or if someone wants to buy them. But um, constantly, constantly doing that. And it's a, it's a bit of an obsession. So I don't want to say I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I, I wanted to live the dot-com life uh back when i was you know yeah. it was the mid 90s and i think everyone was saying hey man if you build a website you can make millions of dollars just go to san francisco right right, right. and uh right. and i was like shoot i'm in interior architecture school <laughs> right so um but i was fortunate enough early in my uh career kind of out of necessity that i uh, co-founded a, a startup lived that whole tech incubator 
lifestyle, um, not in San Francisco, uh, but uh, in Athens, Georgia. So kind of got that out of my system, if you will, but uh, the, the spark doesn't ever leave. And so you're constantly going, hey, I've got this idea for a startup and, uh, yeah, you know, doing elevator pitches and all of that is, uh, well, it, I think it makes us better uh, presenters of creative, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, I have that spark too. And, and, um, you know, recently I had a, it was a, it was a big spark, uh, just cause you know, with everything going on and actually even pre COVID, just some, some restlessness that I, that I was experiencing. Um, and I was hot on this, on this one idea, which I think still could, could take flight, but then some things have shifted at, at, at work, which, uh, I should be able to talk about here pretty soon, but uh, and now I'm I'm all back in on that. Although I you know I still have that 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 spark that uh, that comes up from time to time where I'm like I gotta I gotta build that out, um, you know, and, and maybe pursue that on the on the side. But, do it, man. Do it. So outside of your day job, you know, what are you passionate about outside of the the day to day grind? You know, what do you really get excited about? Uh, you know, f- because I've been working in. Um, Toyota, uh, EV marketing, um, working for Tesla, uh, Lucid Motors, other EV brands, worked on the launch of the Mirai fuel cell vehicle. Uh, I have a strong interest in sustainability, I guess, some of the environmental causes uh, that are very uh, timely um, as we see California burning all the entire West Coast, really. Fortunate enough, where we live here in LA County, we're adjacent to uh, San Pedro. Uh, which is, um, you know, the Port of LA area. And uh, there is a group down there doing some really interesting things with what they're calling the blue economy. Uh, So that group is Alta C, uh, and they are a tech incubator for the blue economy. So they house, uh, I don't know how many companies are in there now, maybe uh, five to 10 uh, different startups. And all of these companies are working uh, within some sort of ocean environment highly sustainable, um, working to improve the future, uh, for all of us really. Uh, so getting involved down there as a, a donor and, um, attending all the open houses, uh, was there when mayor Garcetti came out and cut the ribbon and then, uh, meeting some of the folks that uh, are housed there. Um, wow. Bob Ballard, the guy that found the Titanic, uh, has his boat there, his, and, uh, Ben Lecompte, who, was the first, uh, well, I think he's the only guy that's swam across the Atlantic Ocean. Got to meet him and uh, tried to find some uh, co-sponsorship for his effort to swim yeah. across the Pacific. Uh, it was like a couple years ago. Uh, so it is inspiring to me to see how people are coming together, not only to solve these really wicked challenges, but also uh, do it in a way where they're building the local economy and, uh, and potentially as they grow, they'll be able to provide jobs. And these are good jobs. These are sustainable green jobs. Uh, and this, uh, this group, uh, I encourage you to look it up. If you've never heard of it, it's called Alta C A L T A S E A. Got it. Um, but, uh, okay. great group of people down there. And, uh, if you are in the LA area, uh, certainly when they have an open house, go down there, walk through, meet some of the folks, uh, see what these companies are up to because, uh, it's, it's a really exciting future, um, there in the uh, port of LA. So how does this passion for sustainability, how does that come into play in your design work? Are you working to design with uh, sustainable materials you know how, how how much does that factor into your into your work uh i think it i think it always does you know i think um you know trying to be as green as possible uh and that that can kind of manifest itself in a in a lot of different ways i mean um it's not only the materials it's the glues the binders the uh, the type of carpet that you're putting down um where the carpet goes once you're done with the show all of those things can kind of amplify that footprint right or or lack of it right we want a smaller footprint 
one of the interesting things that Freeman was doing when I was uh, there was auditing the waste stream from these events. I think a lot of larger organizations, you know, on the client side, they somewhat expect it. It's not uh, like a, an add-on, but they want to monitor and um, have the data from all of these events to know that they're um, operating in the most sustainable way. Um, I think live events, I mean, what we do is inherently wasteful, right? We're building yeah. temporary structures and trucking stuff all over the country. And I think if everyone somewhat operates, uh, you know, with a little bit of mindfulness, uh, we can absolutely cut back on some of the um, CO2 output. Uh, you know, if you're using lighter weight materials, uh, you know, it's uh, less CO2 output on the part of the uh, freight haulers, more um compact uh, structures that can pack flat or uh, fill up the cube height of your tractor trailer. I mean, all of those things, um, if you start to think about that as you are creating, you can oftentimes achieve those goals in advance. Um, and it's, it's something to celebrate really. Right. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Especially in this, in the situation that we're in where it's of the utmost importance, right? Cause everything, our forests are shrinking and uh, global warming and all kinds of issues that we're facing. So, yeah. So now it's, it's more important than, than ever to think than about ever. those things. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think we all have to do a part, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. It's come to that moment in the show where you have to deliver on the premise of the whole program, which is confessions of a creative director. Do oh, you man. have, do you need to confess to something? Do you need to get something off your creative chest, as it were, put it out into the world, free yourself of that, of that burden? <laughs> I'm making it, I'm probably making it a lot more than it is, but yeah, hey, anything that you want to want to share that's kind of a little insight, inside look at the, at our world, so to speak. Yeah. I don't know if it's so much a confession, but I will say the best ideas generally are always the first ideas. And it's, uh, it's something where I think of clients, uh, or, uh, it's, it's probably less clients and more of our account side counterparts, you know, you know, delivering a plethora of ideas is part of the process, but oftentimes it's that first gut big idea that you land on, whether it's in a big charrette with your team or if everyone's brainstorming individually that's the one that has generally the legs and, and you will come back to that. You'll improve upon it. That's happened. I would say at least four out of the five, you know, it's that kind of, yeah. Four out of five times level. That's interesting. For every five, it's the first one. Now don't get me wrong. It's, I mean, we build upon it, Right. right? It's maybe not the exact big idea, right? but I think you're I think you're onto something because I have I have experienced that as well in 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 some cases and and you know you do sometimes come back you know full circle that's interesting and, and you can't unfortunately you have to you have to go through the rest of the pro- the process even though in your mind you're like I think that's the one. I think that's the one. But you have to continue to go through the whole process just to validate it. And and let's be honest, sometimes that's just part of yeah. the show, right? It's like, well, I know this is it, but I need I know that I'm gonna need to present several concepts. So let's go through the whole, you know, show, even though I know this is this is it. That's that's a good one. I like that. I like that a lot. So what's the yeah. uh you know, in your mind, what's the downside to that? And I think you, you basically alluded to it is that there's like, well, that can't, it can't be that easy, you know? And people say like, exactly. well, how, how did you come up with it so fast? Yeah. It's like, well, it wasn't that fast. When you think about it, it took me, you know, 30, 30 years plus, you know, whatever month we're in now, whatever day and the hour that, you know, that I had this thought, it took me all that time to come up with it. I didn't just come up with it now. You know, I think that's, that's probably right. the stigma, right. right? It's like, how, you know, how could they, how could, how could they come up with that? If it's fast? that easy. Yeah. The, right. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so you've recognized no, I, it and realized like, I know this is it, but I have to go through it. I have to go through the process. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And, uh, but you know, it's that due diligence process that, uh, will 
kind of validate the the idea and make sure that it checks the boxes. So, you know, not to uh, disappoint anyone out there listening, um, I, we we know it's not that easy. Uh, but you know, for the account types who would you know are standing right behind you, right, <laughs> waiting faster, at their cheaper, watches. faster, cheaper. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Uh, cheaper, faster. What's yeah, the third good, one? good, fast, good, good, fast, and yeah. cheap. Pick two. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. It's the first idea. You know, just just go with the with, go with the first idea, and that's it. But it's true. I think that I think the mo- the majority of the time is spent validating it, and also you know other ideas that you come up with later somehow incorporated or bolster it or something. So it, it doesn't sound as you know it's not as easy as it sounds. But th- that's interesting. I'm going to keep an eye out for that and, and see. Uh, we'll we'll call that uh, uh, Miller's principle of the first idea or something like that. And we'll, we'll coin that and you'll be in all the, uh, all the textbooks going forward. Right. Right. First. Excellent. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a very insightful, uh, conversation. I love your cerebral approach to everything. I'm super excited for you. And I hope you, you continue teaching these students that are going to be entering the workforce soon. So I can steal some, uh, some Aaron Miller, uh, students for my own, you know, creative empire that I'm building, but uh, I'd love to be a, I'd love to be a guest on that in that, in that class. If you ever get a a chance, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I I still, we, I know we talk about this, but, uh, you know, someday I hope uh, we get to collaborate together. I I think, uh, you're a great designer and, and always have lots of great ideas and, uh, hopefully we can make something happen in the future, buddy. All right. Well, uh, say hello to the family, stay safe, wear your mask. Um, get out on that bike, strap, strap on the Lycra, take a, take a <laughs> lap around the block this weekend. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right. All Thank right. You. Take care. Likewise. All right. Well, there you have it. Another episode of confessions of a creative director. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. I was happy to get back into the swing of things and it was a great conversation with Aaron. Really enjoyed talking to him again, as I mentioned, super thoughtful, super, uh, conceptual, cerebral thinker in terms of experiential and the human experience. I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. For more information on the show, check us out at cdconfessions.com. And now I'm going to play you out with another song from my song club. This is a song that I wrote to honor the notorious RBG. Rest in power. Rest in power, little lady. For you did all you could So much good for your sisters And your brothers, we thank you too You were glorious, you were notorious You were one, one of a kind So I hope God puts you in charge And when the liars and the king Arrive to be let in You can put them on a bar straight to hell You are glorious You are notorious You are one, one of a kind You are brave and strong For you did all you could So much good for your sisters And your brothers, 